Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to the culture that's forgotten the questions. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm good. We are recording this on June 4th, 2020, and this is is being recorded... In real time, we're facing a a real national, international crisis. Um, George Floyd, a Minnesotan, um, was an unarmed black man who was killed senselessly by a police officer um, in May. And um, hundreds of thousands of Americans have been participating in peaceful protests. However, there has been a spirit of lawlessness as well that has kind of been unleashed across the land. Um, Tragic time. Uh, we just want to acknowledge this uh, before we move on. We're not going to talk about it. I don't have the wisdom or experience um, to necessarily make sense of this. Um, our Archbishop, Foley Beach, has uh, called for a week of prayer and fasting. I think that is that is appropriate. Um, during any time of crisis, I think that um, uh, repentance and penitence and prayer and fasting are certainly appropriate. Um, Christopher, do you have kind of any anything to add before we move on? Just especially following the exhortation from James to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So rather than us, uh, you know, it's it's not that everyone's waiting for our take on it, but um, we are um, kind of holding the mirror up to ourselves and um, praying and um, and uh, desiring a revival um, throughout our, our uh, the Holy Spirit revival. Last week was Pentecost um, to spread throughout this land of of, of the peace of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, dear listener, I would say pray, examine your own life, be glue in your own community, tend your garden. And um, I, I don't think any take beyond that. It's There, there are a lot of takes out there. You read, mm-hmm. Listener, you don't need much more from us. So, mm. Christopher, we have a guest. Yes. Today, we have a special guest. Today, our guest is a Roman Catholic priest. Well, not not just a Catholic priest. He is a Twitter priest. <laughs> That's right. This guy has 18,600 followers on Twitter. He's the co-host of Clerically Speaking Podcast, which we can assume has even more listeners than, than Twitter followers of Harrison because... You know, not all listeners to, pod- to podcasts are even on Twitter, right. so that's right. So I'm saying that his podcast is has almost twice as many listeners as ours does. <laughs> what I'm saying is, he's a big deal, a, a really big deal. I mean, there was no way that he was going to come on our little podcast. His words, unless I had some really, really good dirt on him. What? 
it wasn't easy, but I got something good. So uh, he's not only a Roman Catholic priest and a Twitter priest, he's also a Canadian. I'm not sure sure if you know this, Kirk. Uh, in America, we have a strategic oil reserve. So if there's a disruption uh, to the global supply chain of oil, like let's say Iran uh, mines the Strait of Hormuz, we can release some oil and, and you know, doesn't let any oil uh, move. Um, we can release some of our strategic oil reserve to help uh, the price of gas to, to, to remain somewhat reasonable, to stabilize gas prices. Well, you probably knew that, but I doubt you knew that Canada has a strategic reserve. Kirk, what do you think it is? Uh, maple syrup. Yes! Really? They have Are a strategic reserve of maple syrup. I'm not even kidding. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Molson swilling, Tim oh Hortons munching, poutine slurping, funny wow. talking Canadian, Father wow. Harrison Air. Harrison, welcome to the show. I thought you wanted me to stay on the podcast. You just like <laughs> lambasted my name with everything that's horrible about Canada. Molson, I, I didn't, maple syrup, poutine. Like, come on. These are all things I hate. I didn't mention hockey. Well, it's because you're, fr you're you're a Midwest boy, and uh, you would be uh, excommunicated if you played <laughs> hockey. <laughs> well, we, we wanted to have Harrison on the show, but wondered what would be the best thing uh, for him to weigh in on. We have obvious differences in theology, and wondered should we have him on to, to talk about maybe um, some things that we disagree about, or um, on something that we uh, all agree about, the Holy Trinity. So so we welcomed him on to talk Trinity, but yeah. we will, Harrison, we do want to have you back to ask you about why you pray to statues and advocate <laughs> works righteousness, and how excited you are about using indulgences in your parish. But Right. We'll save that conversation I mean, for another how time. How am I supposed to pay for all those statues if I don't sell indulgences, right? It's, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, I just had a question for you, and I totally lost it, so never mind. Well, Harrison, what's going on with you uh, recently? Uh, everything. <laughs> um, we're, I'm in my right, – we're supposed to be in England right now for my residential mm. period for my doctoral program, but obviously because of the COVID – uh, I'm not there, so I spend. I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning this week to attend my online Zoom sessions. Uh, so I've been doing that all morning today, every day, and then in the afternoon and evening, I'm running around like a chicken with its head cut off, trying to get my church ready to open on the weekend. Because we were we were allowed to open last weekend, I wasn't ready yet. I didn't feel like we could get our parish ready, so we're ready to open this weekend and all the craziness and god bless my secretary who's working very hard to make sure we can get this all done she's very detailed oriented i am not so um she's we've been just working to get things going so i it was funny because i was like oh yeah it would be like symbolically obviously it's great to reopen on pentecost right mm, yeah the last day of easter but there's there's some room there with trinity too i think so yeah but, yeah, so uh, how many masses do you have uh, planned for this weekend, and how does that compare to a typical weekend? So it's going to be a bit more. What we're doing is um, the bishop has right now said you can go to one mass a week. So some people wanted to go. We can have a maximum of 50 people in the church, and some people wanted to go when there would be less people, so they're just using a weekday mass, like Tuesdays and Fridays. We've canceled public masses on Wednesday and Thursday because we couldn't get enough volunteers to make it work. And then Saturday is the same, except I'm moving my confessions to um, to to an hour earlier so then people, anyone can come for confession. And then those who are scheduled for the 5 p.m. on Saturday come to that. And then I used to have only have one mass on Sunday. Now I have two. 
so we can get the numbers in. And those are all, all three of those masses on the weekend are full. Um, and then I'm offering a little time in the afternoon for those people who really don't want to be around any crowds, a small time when the church is open and I'll be there for those who, you know, I don't like separating communion from liturgy. However, um, these are unusual times and people with significant, I, I did it kind of to discourage because otherwise they'd come to whatever. So this is a way for them. They can come for a little time of prayer privately, receive communion and leave. And then that way they're not, um, they're not in larger crowds where their health would be at risk. Uh, so question, um, how do you make sure that more than 50 people don't show up? How do you, how do you do that? You had to sign up. So we had okay, to, yeah. there's a whole complicated, and not just that our church to respect social distancing, we had to, you're not just assigned a mask, you're assigned a pew. Mm. So it's back in the old, it's, we're going back to those old Anglican days of like sponsoring a pew. You know, yes, we Catholics sell indulgences, you guys sell pews. Pew right, <laughs> so. yeah. I want to bring back a pew right, man. Sorry? A real source of income. We're yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, um, no, so we're, yeah, you're assigned a pew. That way it ensures we keep our crowd 50, and you have to check in. And if you're not on the list, you're not in. Because if we get over 50 people, yeah and the government is keeping track of things, they'll close down all the churches again, so. Well, I know, you're in Canada, you, you guys don't have freedom, so. <laughs> this is true. This yeah, is true. we're, uh, oh, no, I, I, hey, listen, I, if I could, I'd live in the States, so uh, <laughs> you're not, you're not really insult. I mean, I don't like hot, I don't like uh, maple syrup, I don't like Tim Hortons, I, I don't like Molson, I'm not, I'm like the least Canadian person, really. You, you probably like sushi. Yeah, that was a stirring endorsement. <laughs> Isn't that how Canadians are Canadian as well? Like, well, you know, um, we're not too strong on this whole Canada thing, but at least we're not America. That's, yeah, it's kind of true. We really don't have an identity. You know, we actually really don't. We, and most Canadians, those, those things you've mentioned are actually what people say is Canada. That intolerance. Yeah. You have a great national anthem. Legitimately fantastic. I actually do think we do have a great national anthem. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of it. And your national anthem comes from our burning down of your White House. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, there's a real connection on there. Because we tried to invade you. and That's you right. Public spanking. As and, and, and yeah, who won? We've only had one war, and, and who won? Yeah, you're saying you're playing the long game. Wait, did I miss something? Did, does Canada currently occupy Washington, D.C.? I mean, this would be a good time. I mean, to to to, to say you Politically. won the war, I, I would have thought you would have taken some territory. You don't. War, just because you win a war doesn't mean you keep the, the you know. Um, just because doesn't mean just just ah, just because you win a war doesn't mean you keep the territory. The, do the Britons? Do the so British, on, on paper? The, do the Rush? Do the Russians own any of Germany right now? No, I get what you're saying, right? So Sherman. Uh, they 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 did for the until this the iron the curtain came down. Did they really? Was it an independent state in Berlin in the West in East Germany? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, but no. Um, for our listeners who, who aren't aware of Canada, Canada actually is extremely diverse, and each of each of its uh, kind of respective regions are are really distinct. I mean, what, what does a French Canadian have in common with kind of a plains dweller of Saskatchewan? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. No, no. no. And you know, kind of the maritime provinces, they're very different. Um, uh, Which is, I mean, similar to the states, right? You guys, yeah, yeah. the Midwest is different than the Pacific. Like, we, I have more in common with people from Seattle than I do from Saskatoon. Yeah, yeah. So Saskatoon, yeah. that's just a fun word to say. It is kind of a fun word to say. And I was thinking, what's a fun, obscure 
Canadian city. We, uh, Christopher and I, um, are, are essentially uh, honorary Canadians, having graduated from high school as the crow flies about 20, 30 miles from, from Canada. And um, upon going to college in, in the East, in Pennsylvania, was mocked mercilessly for uh, a thick Canadian accent, which <laughs> I, when I go back home, back to Northern Minnesota, I can, I, I just feel it kind of cr cranking up and um, it's a very familiar way. Like, on you, you, get, you get more Fargo-ish. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, the great <laughs> Fargo story. So when, the, when did that come out? 1995. I was in 10th grade. Um, and uh, um, a lot of uh, Minnesotans were offended. There were letters to the editor in the Minneapolis paper. And I watched it. And um, I didn't get it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't, they don't sound funny. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean they're making fun of us? I don't, I don't get it. It just sounds like people. <laughs> of course, now I listen to it. I'm like, oh, oh gosh. Oh, jeez, oh, Wade. Oh, jeez, oh, Wade. Oh, jeez. Gophers. Go what you watching? Gophers. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Uh, we uh, we got a, um, a a super cheap inflatable pool in, in uh, via Amazon, via Lord Bezos in the mail because that's all that's available right now. Like all back to backyard activities. Um, the markup, the black market markup on Facebook marketplace, unlike pools and trampolines is. Oh yeah. Else. Cause everyone's trying to figure out ways of entertaining their family right. uh, in the backyard. So we, we got, um, I don't, I don't know what it is like a, like a four feet by eight feet pool, <laughs> inflatable pool. And, and so I a waiting pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I pulled it out and uh, went to inflate it in the backyard, and um, and I realized that I didn't have um, anything to inflate it with. So, you ready to hear hear um, some good old fashioned American ingenuity? Well, yeah, I'm just figuring you invited Chris over, and he just used all his hot air. <laughs> okay, so that this is actually a thing that I did one time, um, inflating a similar pool in Christopher's backyard. I legitimately spent like 90 minutes. <laughs> It's not easy. It's a like you may think we have a lot of hot air, but the amount of uh, volume in one of those bad boys. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, so no, I took what I took is I took a hair dryer, and then I cut off the bottom of a twelve ounce uh, disposable water bottle. I shoved the hair dryer into the uh, the bottom of that cut off water bottle, and then the nozzle of that water bottle sort of fits onto um the uh the the pool itself and my kids thought that i was a super genius and that 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 might be um kind of one of the high water marks in my life like i i made a thing this is the thing that i that i made so you I mean, are a veritable thomas edison <laughs> right? i was gonna say and i mean what four feet is not a very high water mark <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. that's very cool i like that that's awesome yeah yeah um so so uh we're we, we've uh, been swimming in that and uh by swimming we mean like <laughs> Slo sloshing around <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is a source of um a source of uh escape from you know coming 85 degree pennsylvania days with approximately 127 percent humidity so so there's that yeah yeah without a doubt i mean Here's the thing with young – I mean, you're, you don't have young kids anymore, but when you had younger kids, it didn't take a lot of water to make them happy. Uh, and, and I remember visiting some friends of ours. Their kids were maybe four and two, 
and she just had like a Rubbermaid bin. It wasn't yeah. even a pool. She just like filled filled that up with water, and the kids just here's a puddle. Around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep, that's all it takes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, speaking of water, um, we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, which, this is Trinity Sunday, isn't it? Wow, what a transition. It just I came to me. It just came to me. Uh, shall we do our gospel reading? Let's do our gospel reading. Uh, Today's gospel comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Harrison, would you share, us, uh, share with us some of your thoughts on this passage? Yeah, um, I'm just going to pull it up here so I can... I was like looking at my text while I'm speaking. Um, what I find beautiful about this passage is like Jesus's mention of his authority is also in a way like he's doing this on purpose, right? He's, he's, it, it's a, it, it's Matthew's kind of like ecclesiological moment, right? He's, he's making a claim about the church that in a way the church shares in Christ's authority, right? Um, and, and it's, if we see the, the church as kind of the, the the beginning of the instantiation of his reign and of his kingdom then we are we as members of that kingdom now share in this authority and so it, it, and it and in a way what i love about this is there's actually i think a real connection between um this and the gospel we use for pentecost sunday in john 20 where jesus comes and breathes on the apostles the holy spirits and gives them the authority and this authority that's being passed on is an authority to go in Christ's way, right? It, it's in John, John, Jesus says, as the father has sent me, so I send you. So now Jesus is saying now, as I've been sent to go out uh, to bring the salvation through the kingdom. Now I am sending you with this same mission and this, it'll be instantiated in two, in two ways and kind of sacrament and word, right? So through the, through baptism and through teaching, uh, but at the same time, this authority then of the church in her ability to proclaim this and to share the sacrament only like it implies that the church in a way has to share in Jesus's way, which is always a way through the cross, right? The church, if the church is to share in Jesus's mission, if she's to share in his authority, 
And if he has this authority, he kind of attaches the whole church to himself. Then the church has to kind of go Jesus's way. And, and I mean, like we, we, and like, we believe like with, for example, like with Romans six, right. Did you not know that you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into a death like his, so that you may also be raised in a resurrection like his, um, this idea that, I mean, there's a real connection with this Trinitarian formula here that, that we are sent through Jesus' death as a church to live that death and resurrection for the world. And in them seeing the witness of the church, it gives us a credibility, which then inspires in others a, a desire to see, uh, or sorry, inspires in others a desire to hear the word preached and to receive the sacraments whereby we enter into participation in the life of Christ. And so, um, I mean, there's, as with all scripture, <laughs> there is a lot going on there, but that's what was kind of hidden me with, with that passage. Um, because, and, and then to kind of conclude it with that, it, it's this idea that Jesus is always with us, even to the end, so that he doesn't abandon us. There's nothing, we're never separated from him. And so this baptism is especially that guarantee that we are never separated from him. I am always with you. He's always with his church because his church, as Paul teaches, is his body. And so we shared his authority. We shared his sonship um, by the power of the Holy Spirit in his sonship with the Father. And this is what he draws. This is the life he's drawing us into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's interesting to me when as we look at the text uh, of um, from the book of Matthew. Uh, of course, Math Matthew uh, begins. We have this genealogy, and we have the birth story. Um, but then, and then the baptism temptation um and then we have jesus on a mountain um during uh his temptation and then we have him returning to to a, a mountain for a sermon on the mount kind of at the midpoint of his ministry and then it, there's like a symmetry to him being on a mountain here um at the end and um and of course there's the mount of the transfiguration which reveals to um the three uh peter james and john who you know who he is and and yeah harrison um it's it's so cool how throughout John and throughout these other gospel readings um, recently we've seen Jesus kind of teaching his disciples to say, uh, God sent me and now I'm commissioning you. Like now it's yeah. your turn. You've you've observed me throughout your life and now like I'm handing the baton to you. I'm I am going to be with you always, but but in a very different way. Um, and this mission is now yours. Um, th this mission to the to the um, to the whole earth, and so we see, uh, of course, everything. Like you said, there's a lot going on in this text. Um, Matthew, as as a, an entire gospel, um, is is a it draws a great deal on the Old Testament, showing that Jesus is the Son of Man, um, uh, mentioned in the Book of Daniel. And so there, there's a, a passage in Daniel chapter seven that he's kind of referencing here when he says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." That comes from uh, Daniel chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen. Uh, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And here's verse fourteen, the, kind of the important verse. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed and uh one thing that's interesting uh about the great commission is how overemphasized uh, and this is a thing that that just happens when you translate from greek into english 
um, however emphasized that first verb is, which in the Greek text isn't actually a verb, go. A lot of people are like, well, go is the primary command. Um, but uh, that's not actually a, a verb in the Greek text. Um, it's, it's, it's more like, as you go, here's the command, make disciples. Mm -hmm. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is the call to, to the church is that, that God has called us and equipped us to make disciples. And uh, there's an interesting thing um, that has, has kind of cropped up, I think, um, in the last few centuries of American Christianity and maybe in other places. But uh, this desire, uh, kind of this push for, some people call it decision theology, um, this sense of, of sending people out to do evangelism so that people make decisions for Christ. And people celebrate decisions for Christ. And I, 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 I certainly think we should celebrate when when when... Um, we have someone say, yeah, I, like I've heard the gospel and I believe it and I, and I want to follow Jesus. Absolutely, we should celebrate that. But um, so often that is detached from what it means to be a disciple. The fact that this is a lifelong thing and that, that like there's no sense of being a disciple apart from baptism in the name of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, of this sacramental union with, with Jesus Christ, um, that we've been united in his death and resurrection. And... Uh, it's it's interesting when you read kind of the history of American Christianity and the zeal for evangelism on the frontier. Uh, they're like, wow, we, there are all these people on the frontier. We got to send preachers out there. So they, these preachers would arrive in a rail car. They'd open the rail car. They'd preach a sermon uh, aiming for conversion and then shut the rail car and leave, <laughs> uh, which is wild to me. Um, and I remember asking, uh, hang on, um, was there anyone there to baptize them? And uh, – uh, and, and and again, I, I, we always want to be uh, generous and um, on on this podcast. But um, so so we have many Baptist friends whom we love. Um, but it's interesting that among Baptists who call themselves Baptists, baptism um, sometimes has a very little significance. It's almost superfluous. And I actually know practicing Baptists who have never been baptized. They're like, I don't I don't see the point. Really, you know, it's like, well, you call yourself a Baptist. Um, and so I had a Baptist friend sitting in class with me as, as we were lear learning um, about this frontier evangelism. And I asked the question, um, well, was there, were they baptized? And he was like, wow, I'd never thought of that. Um, because it, kind of in, in his view, a big thing was a decision for Jesus. Where, where we, we want a decision for Jesus and a converted heart, part of which we, we believe God does through the waters of baptism, that he washes us um, uh, with the washing of regeneration and and also, you, you know, unites us um, uh, sacramentally with Jesus and, um, and, and starts this lifelong process of discipleship. The idea of making disciples isn't um, to ask people to just make decisions for Jesus, but it's this lifelong process of, of, of following him. Kind of in, and also, like, you're not baptized into a relationship with God. You're baptized into the church. Um, so, so, but again, our American individualism says, um, well, I make a decision for God. Baptism is, is maybe superfluous, but it's kind of what I believe that is right. So, so anyway, I, I think the text um, uh, calls us to correct this and, and, to, and to, 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 to walk in a lifetime of discipleship, um, sacramental union with Christ um, in the church, and, and um, also just 
Um, so many churches are are in um maintenance mode that they're not in mission mode. Um, and this this great commission, this like if you look at the things that Jesus calls us to, uh, <laughs> how can we neglect this great thing, this this kind of last command that he did, um, to 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 form our lives around um discipleship, uh, making disciples, evangelism, bringing people um into uh uh, uh saving faith, um. This is something that, that the church needs to um, repent of and, and take up once again. Yeah, Christopher, I think of um, our childhood where we grew up in northern Minnesota as an example of um, the unfortunate fruits of frontier evangelism mm -hmm. and how church bodies approached um, the expansion of the American populace um, as, as kind of uh, population centers moved west. So you had on the vanguard, you had these evangelists who were, who, I mean, you kind of explained some of their methods. Um, you know, they get off the train, they, uh, they have their tent meeting or whatever. And I don't mean to caricature it uh, and, or, or impugn any intentions, um, but there was no sense of um, establishing parishes or being there in the, mm -hmm. for the long haul, which is implied in baptism, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because baptism is a, is a, um, is a being ingrafting, a being grafted into the body of Christ, which implies that there's a body of Christ there, that is to say a church. Um, that is coming together for word and sacrament. And so you're really putting the cart before the horse if you have the tent meeting and then you leave. Mm -hmm. And um, we kind of, uh, m m many people who grew up in American suburbia in the 80s and 90s kind of grew up in, in kind of the last vestiges of Christendom, but we did not, right? Um, there were there probably been in Northern Minnesota and rural Minnesota, um, you know, evangelists that had come through. Um, you know, there was, our father was a, a Methodist minister in a mission setting, and um, there were people that would, uh, you know, maybe maybe go to weddings, funerals, and uh, Christmas, and that's kind of uh, that was their encounter, um, because there wasn't any sense of um, of uh, parish life for uh, for much mm -hmm. of rural Minnesota. And I think part part of that is population density, but I think a lot of that is the way that um, church bodies viewed um, how to evangelize. And that's uh, that's that's too bad because um, um, if you're baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get on the next train and leave, are you? <laughs> right. Commitment <laughs> to the soul. You're you are now you have the care of the, this soul, right? So that's an interesting observation, Christopher. Yeah, but I cut you off. You had you you were about to. Um, no, no, I, I was actually I was actually finished. <laughs> okay. I was done. Um, this is uh, this is a passage that uh, that I've seen as a as a stumbling block to um, uh, people that that do have kind of Baptist uh, intuitions about baptism, and uh, and people get hung up on the order of things: do you baptize and then teach? Do you teach and then baptize? Um, because um, in Mark, uh, um, people will say, well, uh, in Mark's gospel it says, um, repent and be baptized. So. Um, and, and well, and in in the book of Acts, like, yeah, I mean, the Acts, Acts yeah. is pretty big there. Repent yeah. to be baptized. I mean, well, what, what must we do? Repent well, to be yeah. baptized. And that's the it's actually that's the interesting thing. Like, there's a point where like they're traveling around, and it's like, oh, you haven't been baptized yet? Yeah, we got to do this. <laughs> You've just gotten John's baptism. We need to baptize you and give you the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think here we we clearly see that um, that one shouldn't be pit against the against the other. Right. Um, uh, the church ought to be teaching all the things which our Lord commanded. 
and the church ought to be grafting people into the full life of the body of Christ through the sacraments, through baptism, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and also, finally, I guess when I look at this, um, sometimes, have you ever, either of you experienced this? Has this ever been thrown into your face that uh, the word Trinity never occurs in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> my early days of dealing with um, certain fundamentalists and stuff like that. Yeah. And, I mean, you look at this verse, and <laughs> this is 100 proof, a uh, 200 proof, full-throated Trinitarianism. Yeah. You can't get around it, right? It's, it's just not possible. The scripture and Paul over and over again, I mean, he often uses Trinitarian greetings or Trinitarian blessings in his writings. It's just, it's there. Well, yeah. And I mean, the other thing is uh, people will, to take uh, kind of topics which are, are kind of divisive uh, today, kind of social topics um, that, that scripture teaches on, people will say, well, uh, Jesus didn't say a lot of, or Jesus didn't say anything about this. And then they'll say, well, uh, you know, Roman, only Romans 1 and Leviticus, you know, really talks about it. And it's like, well, how many times does the Bible need to, to mention something? Like, did, did Jesus have to put, like, a second stamp on God's revelation? Or is it's like, it only needs to happen once. So, yeah. Well, this is, this is, and this is the, I think, now, I, I don't know what your guys' perspective would be on this, but, like, the Catholic kind of perspective on this is, like, well, this is, is this ties into what, what is revelation, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus yes. himself is the fullness of God's revelation. Yes, right? yes. And so if Jesus – and, and I mean, at the end of John, for example, is a great witness to this, right? Jesus did a, Jesus did a lot of things, and I can't write – we can't write them down in all the books. Yes. Right? So scripture is amazing. It's beautiful. But it doesn't exhaust Jesus. <laughs> Jesus himself is the fullness of the revelation. And so this is where, like, at least from the Catholic perspective, the idea of tradition comes in a bit here, right? It's this idea that if Jesus is who – and so then you don't need – always like tradition will never contradict scripture it ought not to right if it does but it gives us this place to say well yeah this is a new question that the scriptures never you know the scriptures aren't going to deal with a whole bunch of stuff around bioethics right right and so but we have we know who jesus is we know what he taught and that's been handed on to the church through generation to generation we have these tools available to make a, a judgment using kind of like Christian principles on a particular moral topic today. So it doesn't need to be always mentioned in scripture to address it. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, I feel like, uh, uh, we are kind of straying into not that obviously yeah. there's theology in the biblical segment, but Kirk, can we move on to our theology segment? Yeah. Let me just, uh, before we do that, let me just say what you're talking about is something I like to call sometimes the silence of the lamb. <laughs> 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 which, which of course, is always ridiculous, right? And it, that betrays sort of a Marcion intuition, right? Well, the Old Testament said yeah. it, but Jesus never said it. Which, um, I mean, what, what does he say in Matthew's Gospel? I, I didn't come to overturn one jot or tittle. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. I, I like it. Um, let's do our theology segment. All right.
All right, for our theology segment today, we have coming up this Sunday, we have Trinity Sunday, which is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Father Harrison, why do we celebrate Trinity Sunday? It's kind of a connection to, it, well, it's interesting. It, it, back in the day that you still had the octave of Pentecost. And so Trinity Sunday would be the, um, the culmination yes. of, of, of this liturgy, right? Because the coming of the Holy Spirit is the, the final kind of um, action of God in, the, in his kind of saving mystery to bring about the reality of the church. And so you have the revelation of the father, you have the revelation of the son, you have the final revelation of the spirit. I mean, Jesus keeps on pointing to the spirit in the, mm. the scriptures saying, this is why I have to send to kind of like the way I always like to use it is this Holy spirit's role in the church is to universalize Jesus for us. Mm -hmm. Right. With Jesus, because he's embodied, uh, and is still embodied mm -hmm. is only available in one particular place in time, but the Holy spirit kind of universalizes him so that um, I think Balthazar calls him like the memory of the church, right? The Holy spirit is the memory of the church. He's always making Christ, making the memory of Christ present to us. And oh, so I like is, that. I've never heard yeah, that. Yeah. That's I love it too. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is this idea that the Holy spirit is this kind of culmination of the Trinitarian revelation. And, and that the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit has actually always been at work in all these things, including the saving mystery. And so Trinity Sunday is kind of like a liturgical feast to culminate God's full revelation that has culminated in the Easter season and now has finished with the octave of Pentecost. And so we celebrate this to say this is actually, this is our goal as Christians, is to be in life with the Trinity. Mm. So in a way, you could make the case. I don't think we do in practice. But in, you could make the case, this is perhaps one of the most important Sundays of the year. Mm. Unfortunately, um, it's also what I like to call Heretic Sunday. <laughs> because that's when you get all the really bad analogies coming out. You know, the Trinity is like, like Neapolitan ice cream. I'm like, that's partialism. <laughs> partialism. That's actually right. the least worst, uh, I, I think. Okay, what's, what's the worst but, one you've heard? But I, but I ruined your role. I ruined no, no, that's okay. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. What's, what's the worst one you've heard? No, no, no. I just, like so. I mean, the partialist analogy is, uh, of course, um, the, the clover. Um, yeah. Right, but like the the um, all three flavors are still ice cream. So yes. they but they all share the divine essence of creaminess or whatever. But <laughs> right, it's just but it doesn't allow for the interpenetration of the three persons. <laughs> mm, right? That's true. So, yeah, you were, you, were, uh, you were um you were getting on a roll about Heretic Sunday. So continue. Oh yeah, no, it's just it's just, it's there's two things with it. First, uh, first can, can, can I can I just um <laughs> jump in for just a second? Um, you know, we we uh we hope that our, our podcast is accessible for people of kind of all all backgrounds. And so uh, when we kind of sense like, oh, did we just use a churchy word? Uh, we try to st kind of stop and define it. And so um, yeah. you mentioned the octave of Pentecost, and okay, we just want to yeah. say that that's that's eight days. Um, so P Pentecost, and then the next eight days. And so um, may maybe I'll say a, just a little bit about that, and I wonder if you could kind of clarify or add or correct um, when I say that um, some of these things like Easter, um, they're too big. 
to fit into one day. Um, so Easter, of course, is 50 days, but the first octave is like this kind of like just like they say you can't do Paris in a day. And maybe I've said this before. Um, just like you can't do Paris in a day, you can't do Easter in a day because we live in this new reality of Easter. And so it, it actually the celebration and the feast kind of lasts for eight days. Um, and so uh, do you want to say anything about the octave of Pentecost? And like it's hard to squeeze Pentecost into a day. It is, and I think um, I mean again, like I don't know. If, do you guys still celebrate it as a, as an octave? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we don't we don't in the Catholic Church, and I think that was there's actually a little great story about this. Uh, when Saint Paul the Sixth was after he made his reforms, he goes down to the sacristy to celebrate mass on the Monday after Pentecost. And he sees green vestments laid out. He <laughs> says, Where, where's the red vestments? He goes, he goes, Is, isn't it the first day of the octave of Pentecost? And they said, Holy father, you abrogated it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm like, and it's true. Everyone keeps, like, so what I often try to do is I try to, you can, you can celebrate votive masses of the Holy spirit. So that's what I do during these eight days. If, if it's not a memorial, I celebrate, I celebrate the votive mass of Pentecost and there's a bit of a movement to kind of reintroduce that. But anyways, so these, there's three octaves in the church, really. There's, you have the octave of um, Christmas, you have the octave of Easter and you have the octave of Pentecost. And it, it's the idea. It's, it's the, the eighth day is kind of the sign of the new creation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. this is why Trinity is at the end, because this is the culmination and the end of our creative, what we're created for. Um, Easter. And so, and it's not just that it's in eight days. It's like this whole process of God making a new creation. And so we celebrate that liturgically of entering into a new creation through, through the incarnation, which renews our humanity and brings us to a closer into an adoption with God because of God taking on our nature. You have Easter, which is the salvific role through which we are saved. And then you have the Trinity, which is our end. And so you have like the, th the three ends of life, if you will, in these three octaves and God kind of drawing us into this mystery, into this new creation. And so the, the eight days is really a symbol or a sign of this new process of creation that God is doing. The eighth day being the sign of the resurrection. And so that's why it's eight days. It goes from one Sunday to the other. And mm -hmm. so that's just a little brief, brief thing about Oculus. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Um, and so now please continue with Heretic Sunday. Yeah, yeah. it's just, it's, <laughs> well, just, this is the Sunday where you get all the bad analogies. You get, uh, you get everything, um, or you get, so that we, we mentioned uh, partialism is one. Uh, the other one is you'll get people say that it, you know, the Trinity is like, um, is like the sun and on track and it's light and it's heat. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to, but the problem is you, you really are just saying it's actually just the one God in three different manifestations. Right. Um, and, and, and all the other, I've, and I've heard, and I've heard them when I was in seminary, I'd go to some different churches on Sundays and I always limited to going on, on Trinity Sunday because I knew what was going to come. And what water is, water is ice, liquid vapor. Yeah, exactly, That's modalism. Exactly. Yeah. That's modalism. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And modalism being the, yeah, this idea that God just presents himself in three modes, which I think is actually a very common mentality unfortunately yes not intentionally, yeah. yeah not intentionally but it's a common mentality um so it, it's the sunday where you can hear a lot of bad preaching but i think if you actually kind of look at it in the context of like this octave view of this liturgical view you it actually i think is is really one of the most important days because it becomes the day where we are reflecting on the true end and goal of what we are created for mm. And that kind of orients our action and our life of prayer and everything we do as Christians to say, this is what I'm aiming for, which, and like, so for example, like I, I'm leaning towards preaching on, cause I've been preaching about it a lot during Corona tide is, um, 
the the centrality of con, con, uh, contemplation in the Christian life, because what is heaven, but literally entering into the presence and being immersed into the life of God and contemplating in Him, the divine, the divine essence, who God is, and to be immersed in that eternal exchange of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that that involves an absolute centrality of like a contemplative um, posture towards God. And so if we're not training ourselves for that in this life, <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, people say like, oh, mass is boring or, or liturgy is boring. I'm like, well, you're going to hate heaven then, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, because like, this is the idea. It's like, no, like this is, this is what we're created for. Everything and that this whole, this whole work of God is always at work in the life of the church, is always at work in the liturgy, but not just exclusive to the liturgy. And this is where I'm going to lean it towards. It's like, it's not just exclusive to the liturgy, but because of like Jesus's commission that we've just heard, it's something that's actually lived out. I think one of the biggest issues is that a lot of Christians don't see this, um, like you've kind of mentioned, they don't see this importance of this great commission to actually go out and make, they always look to the clergy to do the role of mission. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, actually, because you're baptized, you have a mission, mm-hmm. right? To bring people into this encounter with this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, like, it, it is, I think, it is one of the great feasts of the year, one of the most important feasts of the year. And I think it's a great tragedy that it gets so, it gets badly preached and it gets um, pushed off to the side. And, and just as a little final note, it's also it's also known as the... Um, the Sunday that preachers fear most because, which is, and that tells you something, right? If you can't, if you're afraid to preach on the Trinity, wow, you got, we got a lot of work to do on your faith. (laughs) Christopher, you gave me recently as a gift, um, Hans Borsma's book on the beautific vision, Mm -hmm. which so good. just said very starkly, like this is the end of our, this is the point of our existence and our being is that we shall someday see God. And the God that we shall see is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, yeah. so Father, that's uh, well, well pointed out there um, that we will contemplate the triune vision. I don't know, have, have any of you read um, Dante's Paradiso? Um, it's sort of um, people, even people who love Dante sort of sheepishly acknowledge that um, it's, it's the weakest. Because how how could how could our speech um, on this side on this side of Eden on this side of the grave on this side of Jordan right how could it begin to capture what we will see and mm-hmm. so uh, uh, Purgatorio and um, Inferno are great full of vivid images and um, and not so much the beatific vision at the very end of Paradiso because um, our, our speech right now. Um, quite can't quite capture what what it'll be to see it and to contemplate. But, so I haven't read it, but isn't maybe that's the point though? It's it's meant to fail, <laughs> right? Right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, it's it's like uh, I don't know who said it. Uh, it's been attributed, I think, to Leonard Bernstein. But like, um, trying to talk about music is like trying to what dance about architecture. Right. Like, like our language is a bit impoverished. Yeah, and it has to be because God is God. No word, I mean, I don't mean to sound like controversial, but even like the words of scripture cannot totally encompass who God is. Mm. Otherwise, um, he's not God, (laughs) right? They can speak truthfully about who God is and they can point us to the truth of God's who he is in his nature. But, 
even our minds can't fully grasp who God is because God is infinite. This is what I was saying to you guys earlier before we started recording, right? This is Gregory Nissa's idea of when we're talking about Chronicles and Narnia and the idea of further up and further in. For Gregory Nissa, because God is infinite, God is, there is, we'll never exhaust God in heaven. Mm. So that's why heaven can't get boring, right? Because if God is infinite, we are even in redemption, are finite creatures still. We have to be. Like, we are in the sun, yes, mm-hmm. but we're still in the sun as creatures. And so we'll never, we can never, if, if we, if, you know, it's Augustine's famous phrase, if you think you understand it, it's not God. You can't fully comprehend. You can understand, you can know God. You can use words mm-hmm. to describe him. But if you take, you have to take a proper sense of analogy for every similarity, there's always a greater dissimilarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I didn't mean to cut off. Uh, we had a Sorry. great discussion um, when we were talking about um, the scripture reading. Um, but but what I wanted to to kind of say is that um, so much of our our theology is built um, uh, like we want to build a biblical theology. So we don't we don't look to the Bible like we would look at a quarry and say, oh, let's let's what does the Bible say about parenting or what does the Bible say about right. money and like go find this part and this part and pick it out. Exactly. But in, but instead. Um, it's it's this revelation of God about Himself, and we can build a biblical theology, um, piecing together teachings about various things. So we don't go there and just uh, extract bit by bit, but we build a greater theology. If if I don't know if that metaphor is is working for all our listeners, um, the difference between just looking in there and finding things, picking out things. Or uh, what I'm trying to say is 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 that we are kind of building a brick wall out of bricks that each kind of support one another. And and what, what um, Harrison had mentioned was um, just the doctrine of revelation. Um, like, how do we know about God? Well, well, we talk about two different things. We say there's general re- revelation and there's special re- revelation. And that that um, all knowledge is God's knowledge. So um, when when we're sick, we don't go to see a priest. We go to see a doctor because, like, God has revealed knowledge to the whole world about medicine, and and um, and so j- just like um, if you have a mental illness, um, there's a spiritual component to that. But you'd also see um, a mental health professional because, like, there is a great deal of knowledge God has given us about that. Um, there are certain things that are apparent to everybody as being true, and that's general revelation. But um, and there's certain things we can ascertain about God. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God, the psalmist mm-hmm. writes. And that's obvious to everybody. Yeah. Um, but but God has chosen to reveal himself. We know him because of his own self-disclosure. And he has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and when we see this, um, you know, when we see Jesus say this formula— we can look back through scripture and we say, ah, like uh, in Genesis 1, we can see the spirit on the water and we can see the word at the beginning. And, and so we can see these three persons that it doesn't need to be mentioned. Um, the Trinity doesn't need to be mentioned in the Bible, um, but there's the doctrine is there. But that doesn't mean that it was easy to define this doctrine. This took oh. hundreds of years yes. um, and, and several councils to, to really kind of hash this out. So, uh, Kirk Harrison, would you like to say anything about Nicaea? Um, uh, Constantinople, Chalcedon. You want to go first, Kirk? I talk a lot. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 I had some thoughts. Some thoughts written down. Uh, uh, I, I, I uh, I'll, I'll wait, Father. I'll defer to you, Father. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so Nicaea was um, very interesting. It was 
the council around an I, like the letter I, right? Because mm -hmm. the the Greek words that were at play, there was two debates. We have um, you have Arius, who argued that um, Jesus was essentially, and, and it's funny because they were not funny, but it it's a it's a council that really focuses around the, the person and role of Jesus, mm -hmm. and and it was, I mean, oh, wanting sorry. to wanting to honor God and saying God is so great. That he could never possibly become a man, right? Yeah. So this is the part of the problem was what we call the problem of mediation, right? Can God enter his creation or not? So, interesting enough, I would say Arianism is perhaps the heresy of today, not in terms of <laughs> our doctrine about who Jesus is, but our doctrine about how God relates to the world, mm. right? So uh, Arius is saying, so Jesus is kind of like a demigod. Like he was the first and greatest created thing. That took on flesh because God in his nature cannot take on flesh. Um, and so you have on that on the one side. And so he would, and then, but people were fighting it a bit. And, and he, so he would use a, a phrase in Greek or a word in Greek called homoiousius, which is to of the like substance. So mm -hmm. his substance of his nature was like God. And then the council fathers used the word homoousius, which is, uh, of the same substance, which we still say today, or consubstantial, is what we used to say today in the Nicene Creed. Um, so this was what was. Do you really? Point. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we use consubstantial. What do you okay. guys do? You guys use the Nicene Creed? Of one substance. Of one substance. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. same, it's same, it's same word. Right. Yeah. Thing, right? But but so, but it's, yeah. it's interesting that we have slightly different English words for the. We used that. to have. We used to use. It used, to, it used to be something different. The trend we had a translation in 2010, a okay. retranslation. So, um, so yeah, consubstantial with the Father, God the Father, God the Son, Son are of the same substance. They're made of the same stuff. Okay. What is interesting though in the early church is that Nicaea kind of wins out, um, but not for long, because uh, back in those days, doctrine and politics were very tied together, and. Um, um, there was a political advantage to the Aryan position. Wait, 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 wait. Integralism <laughs> is the best, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. People can't I... see my people can't see my death stare. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff, right? Could, but anyways, could continue, but, yes. Yeah. Anyways, what I love about we shouldn't throw stones if we're in glass houses. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know, Anglicanism. It was a joke. It was a joke. And I'm sorry if, it, if it's a bit of an esoteric joke. Um, but um, th there are some that, that really think that um, the, church, it, the church governs the state. Ought to, yes. Ought to, yeah. 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 So, um, but then you have one of my favorite figures is St. Athanasius, uh, who because it comes to a point where like really maybe a handful of bishops believe the Nicene faith, a whole bunch of, um, a whole bunch of, uh, of guys or most of the bishops become Arians. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right. And Athena it comes to the point where Athanasius is actually politically removed from his cathedral. I got to share a story. Cause this is, I love the story about Athanasius is so the soldiers come in and the priests and deacons and some other soldiers who are on Athanasius' side come in to protect him. He kind of slips out the back door and the cathedral is right next to the river. And so they get, they sneak him onto a boat with a few people and they go to start going down the river. And then um, two boats with guards come up the opposite direction. And as, and they're like, Bishop Athanasius, someone's coming. Like we got to turn around. He goes, no, no, continue forward. 
And as they come to these two boats, uh, they yell out, have you seen Athanasius? And Bishop Athanasius says, he's really close and continues to pass by them. So <laughs> <laughs> it's back in the day when they didn't have pictures of people. So they, they wouldn't know what they looked like. Right. So, <laughs> well, but wasn't, no, so he, Athan- wasn't he, um, um, smeared as the, the, the little black monk because he was short and dark or something. Like I had that. not heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised. That was pretty vicious. I mean, people would refuse merchant buying and selling with each other over Trinitarian doctrines hmm. in the early church, right? So it, it's really constant. But so Nicaea mentions the Holy Spirit, and they mention they worship the Holy Spirit, um, like the Father and the Son, but or um, they or that they worship the Holy Spirit, but they actually don't fill out what is the Holy Spirit. It's actually not hmm. until Constantinople that the holy the, the doctrine of the holy spirit is kind of fleshed out when they're dealing with a heresy which is very hard to say or spell pneumatomachianism <laughs> pneumatomachianism which is to say that the holy essentially the holy spirit's not god he's a creature um and so it's in fighting pneumatomachianism that Cal, uh, constantinople comes along um you have ephesus and ephesus after that sorry um so it's there that they flesh out that part of the creed. And so really the creed of the Nicene Creed is actually the Nicene of Constantinople Creed, where they mm-hmm. add the section on the Holy Spirit. And so this took hundreds of years. And part of the fight too was, what role does philosophy play here? We're using philosophical terms. We are, because this was one of the debates. We're not using the words of scripture, right? And rats- Yeah, actually, homoousius is not in scripture, yeah. Right, homoousius is not, or, or yeah, exactly. So how, we gotta be like, and there was a, a hesitancy, to, and that's a fair hesitancy, but, mm-hmm. um, Ratzinger talks about how in the early church, this is the role of the church, of the bishops and everything. It's they present the symbol of faith, the thing that unifies the interpretation of the scriptures um, and of the tradition so that we know that we stand in the right place in the tradition and in, in regards to the scriptures. And so the, the creed is kind of seen as the symbol of faith and symbol being that thing that unites a thing and unites mm-hmm. the church. And so that's why we proclaim this creed every Sunday is to say, I stand in this orthodox interpretation of the scripture and tradition this is what it means to be uh, an orthodox christian and and i hold this to be absolutely true as my standard of life and my standard of interpretation and i just love how um the the nicene creed the council of nicaea nailed down gave absolutely no wiggle room for arians like you can't cross your fingers on any line right (laughs) yeah exactly god of god light of light very god of very god begotten not made being of one substance with the father right like so if, if, you know, a couple of those lines were gone, maybe an Aryan could wink and nod and hold their finger, you know, cross their fingers <laughs> behind their back and yeah. confess it. But, um, I mean, that's why we confess line after line after line about the sun um, to, be, to, to be very um, concise um, that we believe that the sun is of the full divinity, uncreated divinity, yeah. um, exactly. like the Father, like the Holy Spirit. Exactly. It's lovely. It is amazing. Beautiful. Awesome and, um, and if you do it on a weekly basis, it forms confessional grooves in your soul. Yeah. Um, so that uh, hopefully then you're not nervous talking about the Trinity. It just sort of oozes forth from you because, well, you've been confessing it. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly. As, it's the same thing like with the hearing the scriptures over and over again. And this is why liturgical proclamation of scripture is so important because it just like I'm actually amazed, like between preaching to bravery and listening to scriptures over the years, and now saying mass like pretty much every day, you're just like, and then yeah, saying the creed, you're just like, oh yeah, this is just natural. It just kind of comes out naturally, mm-hmm. 
and that's that's beautiful right that's that's liturgy forming us and that's that's the part of the purpose of liturgy i mean its primary purpose is worship of god but a secondary purpose is that it's actually intended to form us in the mm-hmm. life that it's giving us oh yeah. yeah yeah and that's that's where we like to um uh we don't like latin a lot harrison but um but we actually <laughs> apparently most catholics don't either so <laughs> <laughs> but but that's 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 where we talk about the latin phrase lex orandi lex credendi yeah. um and what that literally means is is the law of prayer is the law of believing but kind of uh, the essence of what it means is that um the way you pray forms your belief and so in that way, liturgy, um, we want it to be just dripping in scripture because that forms our belief. The way, As we pray, that forms our belief. And and that actually cuts it short because the, the, there's a third lex, uh, lex That's vivendi. Vivendi. Yeah, so um, prayer forms our belief, which forms, uh, sorry, prayer, uh, yes, which, which forms how we live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kirk, uh, Harrison, did you guys have... Um, have anything else in the theology segment? Because I, I wanted to kind of close us out. So go ahead, Kirk. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, Father Harrison, you'll get a kick out of this. For for years, um, I would wear uh, orange on St. Patrick's Day uh, just as my, my own little <laughs> thorny, uh, thorny uh, Church of Ireland, like thorny Protestant uh, statement that no one understood, right? Because Beaver County here in Western Pennsylvania is little, little, little yeah. like so. Um, <laughs> Um, if you're not Presbyterian, you're Roman Catholic, and then everyone else is just kind of way behind. Uh, <laughs> um, my oldest son entered like kindergarten or first grade, and kids are encouraged in St. Patrick's Day to wear green. And he asked me when I was uh, leaving them, why, why aren't you wearing green, Dad? And like, how are you? Like, it's suddenly, when you try to explain it to a six-year-old, like, it just strikes you how stupid it is. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I wear green now, um, but he, uh, I, I love that, uh, that he understood um, it's about the Trinity. He was lecturing me that morning going out the door, like St. Patrick taught the Trinity, you should be wearing green. Remember, <laughs> um, I, I, I too have been thinking about how, um, how there are perils on either sides for poor preachers on this day. So um, you, you can either kind of um, teach poor theology um, or you can, in order to avoid that, fall off the other side of the horse and, uh, and, and not do it at all. Um, but but I've, I've come to, to see that this, this shouldn't necessarily be an orthodoxy test this Sunday, mm. but rather um, to revel in the God that we worship, right? So the mm. triune God is to be worshipped, not mm-hmm. understood. So mm-hmm. the point of Trinity Sunday isn't um, pure, more sophisticated intellectual ascent, Um but to but to be able to enter into the divine life to love more fully the god that wishes to reveal himself to us um in, in the persons as he has revealed himself to us in revelation and, and you guys has covered that really well kind of in your thoughts and observations um let me see here i had i had one more thing written down oh um uh, the athanasian creed that didn't come up at all this <laughs> something that that we confess once a year yeah, um, Lutherans do. I know many um, many Anglican churches do, um, and it is uh, if you if you've ever kind of zoned out during the Nicene Creed, you should. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Athanasian Creed. Um, it begins: uh, Whosoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Who does not keep it whole and undefiled will, without doubt, perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this: that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in Unity neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. And then it launches off into verse after verse 
after verse that by repetition is intended to teach the equality and the unity um, of the persons while distinguishing the unique work that each person performs in uh, accomplishing the redemption of all creation. And uh, it's interesting that uh, it's not the, the creed, as I look more and more at it every year, it's not concerned primarily with the confession by the mouth, but, but confession of worship. It's um, mm -hmm. as you start to confess it, confess it, you realize um, it's an act of worship. Exactly. And, um, and that I mm -hmm. think is the ultimate point of Trinity Sunday. And um, yes, absolutely. Conversations around the Trinity is to bring us into worship. Exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting actually with the council of Ephesus, for example, the, the whole debate around is Mary mother of God or not, right. It was <laughs> as Theotokos is, is the yeah. phrase. Yeah. It had everything to do with worship because the, the collects for a particular feast of Mary called her Theotokos. And so it was a debate around worship ultimately. Right. And I love, I love that part of the Athanasian creed about, um, uh, neither dividing the unity of the substance nor what was the other part again? I always yeah, forget it. Using uh, the, the, the persons, the right? Persons. Yeah. Yeah. Confusing the persons. Yeah. This is, I think where this is where the Christian faith can be a real pro have a real prophecy, if you will, a prophetic witness to the world. Um, we do not see unity the same way worldly powers see it. Mm. Unity does not destroy diversity, nor does diversity undermine unity. Right. This is the whole beauty of the church. There yeah. are, I mean, and I'm not using church as like Catholic. I mean, I mean like, or I may, maybe Catholic with the more universal sense, right? Like the church is anyone who is baptized. And mm -hmm. within that church, there are um, many different rites and forms of worship, but that we, and, and yes, there's levels of communion with each other and everything. But at the same time, like there is a multiplicity of worship, but a unity in belief. Mm -hmm. And neither of these things overwhelm or or impede the other, right? And it, it it it's rooted too, like the way I always like to talk about like Christology, right? The the divinity never overwhelms the humanity, overwhelms or destroys the humanity, and the humanity never limits or impedes the divinity. Um, this is this this is how we see Jesus, and this is how we see the Trinity. That has a profound ap applications to all the political discourse that we have today, and that the church actually has a really powerful way of saying, actually, here's the vision of what it means to be human. This is what it, here's the vision of how we can flourish, um, and it's actually revealed to us by God, mm -hmm. and that it's something that we can actually live by that can actually bring an answer to a lot of the problems that are in the world. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting how kind of post enlightenment. Uh, culture really gets things backwards like we yeah. um, struggle to believe things until we know them and understand them fully and kind of scripture is calling us to something a little bit different isn't it like Harrison you talked about how like how can we know God God is infinite and it, and it's hard um, to uh, to define the reason we have such a bad theology on Trinity Sunday is because like we affirm things that seem paradoxical we say God is one we also say God is three um, and, and that that like just confounds some people's logic mm -hmm. and um do, do you know who's really good on this harrison who luther um <laughs> where, where he says he's on so much on so much um that, that um things like uh the tr i don't know if it's specifically said about the trinity but he's like uh i remember sitting in in a class and so i went to a seminary that wasn't a denominational seminary so we had lutherans we had you know all sorts of uh denominations represented um and and, and one person kind of shared a quote from luther uh that, that went like this it was this is to be believed, even if it's not understood. 
Right. And that's a very it, sentiment as well. Yeah, the I mean, yeah. The, the the Catholic in me will will I get where he's coming from. I'm not, but you, the, it feels like a little, ugh, right? Because there's you don't want to you don't want to throw out the mind either. No, 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 right. absolutely yeah, yeah. not. But I think a big impediment for some people is that like, um, well, I like. I don't understand, so I don't believe. And, and I remember hearing, like, Woody Allen kind of opine over the years, like, he's he's read a lot of religious stuff, and he's just like, ah, like, uh, like I kind of know it, but, uh, like, I don't quite, you know, I'm not all the way there. Um, like, we need to, like, we some people feel the need to kind of fully wrap their head around, right. even if even though, like, there's no totally wrapping your head around God. Yeah, exactly. Which is, yeah. I'm just trying to add to a point that you made yeah, yeah. earlier. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. St. Augustine's formulation was, I... I understand because I believe. Mm. I don't believe because I understand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. So, so we don't want to throw out ra the rational yeah. mind at all. Right. Yeah. But, but, but to say that there are limits to it. Absolutely, um, and I think that that is, um, I think that's one of the great works of the church and theology right now, where she can engage with with different forms of rational thought. But to say, like, uh, one, um, very interestingly, I wrote a, I gave a paper in Australia this year because uh, I'm I'm doing my doctoral work on rats here, and. Um, Ratzinger, in his work on Bonaventure, shows that Bonaventure ties with how we understand reason with how we understand revelation, right? And and the whole point of this whole discussion is to show that there are limits to human reason because mm -hmm. of the it has to take we have to remove the hubris from our mind and recognize we are creatures and because we are creatures there is a limit, and this has been one of the hard projects that we that Christianity has to kind of fight against. Is to say, actually, no. There are limits to knowledge, and there are limits not just to knowledge, but to action as well, and that we have to recognize and live within those limits. Otherwise, we cease being human. Mm. Mm. I love it. Well, I'd love to put a, a, a bow on, on this theology segment and move on to culture. Um, and, sure. and the way I want to do that is, is this way. is I really liked how, how Harrison brought up um, this uh, discussion about the Trinity and how, like, this is this relationship we see between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, is something that we're invited into. And, and uh, this relationship with God as Trinity, um, that, that there are three persons that live in kind of this mutual love, and um, that's something that we're invited to. And, and that is really, really well um, illustrated. Uh, I'm sure both of you are familiar with the Rublev icon of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh which is also known as uh, the hospitality of Abraham because um, it it depicts uh, a scene um, that Abraham has uh, where he has these three visitors uh, by the Oaks of Mamre, and uh, so the, this Google it. I don't think we include images in <laughs> in um, in the description of of the podcast. Um, we but we can put but it on the Facebook page later. Well, yeah, we put it on the Facebook page. Um, I where, have where it we have we have these three figures representing the Trinity. Um, kind of f 
and there's like a, a space at the table that's facing the person who's viewing it, kind of yeah. almost inviting us into this intimacy with with the Trinity, and that like that's what the point of everything is 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 being invited into this. Yeah, and not just I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, I got I, I I remember listening to a lecture once, and um, the professor was pointing out how the middle angel who was meant to kind of represent the sun. Um, he's got the figure of the traditional kind of orthodox iconographic uh, shape of bit, kind of woven into him of the crucified Jesus. Mm. So on the right edge, you can see like the knees pointing out and stuff like that. And that's mm -hmm. actually, and so that's, it's just, that, that's where we're invited into this relationship is through the cross. Mm. Right. And it has to be through a crucifixion and it's just, yeah, it, it, it is, um, it is a very powerful icon. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Christopher. So make the connection to our culture segment. You were, uh, you were segueing. Well, we, we are invited into eternal communion with the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Speaking of eternity, uh, you guys have been watching <laughs> a show that talks about the life to come. Transition. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yes, The Good Place. Uh, I, we in our house, uh, Kim and I, finally finished The Good Place. Um, I, I know a lot of Christians have been um, interested, maybe even hopeful, um, that it would uh, kind of shed some light. Uh, it, it certainly does um, take seriously moral, ethical frameworks um, that we are moral beings that have obligations um, in this life. Um, it also thinks seriously about um, the fact that we are uh, eternal souls, which, oh my gosh, what other, you know, <laughs> Hollywood has done that in a while. And embodied right. souls, mm, right? Yes, souls, yes. Precisely. Um, however, uh, Father Harrison, it did something interesting in the, uh, in the last season. Um, so uh, all of our characters in the, in the end, um, in the final season of The Good Place, um, they're all in The Good Place. They've become better. They're sanctifying. Um, they've designed um, a proper good place. So so one of the conceits is that um, the system's broken. Um, it's actually broken. Nobody can enter The Good Place because, oh my, who can abide the law? Which, that's a very Christian idea, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, who, who can ascend to heaven on their own um, without mediation? So they, they remake a system, which that's that at that point it, we're we're beyond kind of Christian analogies, but whatever, it's interesting. Um, they remake a system in which uh, people are invited to the good place with a with a gentler system. So instead of kind of having to be a hundred percent a good person, I don't know, eighty percent passing grade. Um, and in in the in the last season, our characters become bored in paradise because every day is great, and when every day is great, every day is the same, and so they begin to suffer from ennui. Um, one of the characters, Tahani, she masters uh, the ability to uh, conduct a symphony orchestra in uh, 18th century Dutch wood carving. And <laughs> I mean, she just has this lengthy list. So it's clear like they've spent tens of thousands of years at this point in, in, in paradise. And they realize the solution is a portal into non-being. So the solution to heaven is... <laughs> Annihilation. Eastern philosophy. That's right. Nirvana. Yeah. So nir nirvana is the, uh, the, the the Sanskrit word for um, when a candle is blown out, and um, the, the sense that the smoke sort of joins the room until there is no smoke anymore in any meaningful way, right? So you join the universe, um, and that's that's kind of what they're seeking. So in the end, their solution to heaven is 
that you should get you you should get a youth euthanasia option. <laughs> that was uh, that was kind of disappointing. Um, but uh, Father Harrison, uh, how far how far did you watch it? Oh, I've watched so I watched the first three seasons multiple multiple times um, because it was for me it's actually one of the smartest comedies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arrested Development is number one always going to be, but um, the good because I felt. I mean, yeah, like some people are like, oh, well, you know, this isn't Christian afterlife. This is, I'm like, no, that's not their intention. I think I think it actually, what I liked about the show is that it gave us a window into how secular people see religion. Oh, yeah. And, that's, and that is a very helpful tool. And there are times you're just like, because like, I, I, so, I mean, spoiler alert in case you haven't seen the show, but I figured out by episode two that they were in the bad place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the picket fences, <laughs> you know, it was just like, it was, it, to me, it seemed too suburbanite and I'm sorry, suburbia is not <laughs> my idea of heaven. <laughs> right. I mean, it's suburbia. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. it's below <laughs> so, urban area. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, you get that sense pretty early. I don't know. I think if you're a Christian, I, I've heard from a lot of Christians that they, they had the sense something was off in the first season. Right. Uh, and, I mean, Froyo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. oh, but, oh, but you know what, though? Michael, at the same time, had a great insight into human nature about frozen yogurt, right? Humans have this amazing tendency, I'm paraphrasing, they have this amazing tendency to take something they like and ruin it just a little bit so they can have more of it. <laughs> yeah. I thought, what a, that is such a brilliant yeah. insight into fallen humanity, right? Like light, light beer. Yeah. No, 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 that's just, that's just an abomination. Yes. <laughs> C.S. Lewis notes the same thing in Paralandra when in the unfallen, in, in the new world that's unfallen Paralandra, um, he notices when, he, when Dr. Ransom visits there that he has one fruit and that's all he wants. Whereas yeah. back on earth, he like if you, if you taste something and it's really good, you're like, I need to have eight more of those right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is, this is um, I think this is, I've been thinking through it since I've seen the show. I, it's funny. I haven't rewatched the fourth season yet because I found it, depressing um and i think if you're a person who lives in hope you ought to find this depressing um the first three seasons hope still reigns but they remove hope through annihilation um and not hope as in wishful thinking but hope is as the recognition of a reality that started but hasn't been completed yet right so uh i the show this is me thinking like and i and by the way one of the reasons i love the show was I think they did an amazing job of presenting in a popular fashion philosophy. Yes, mm. yeah. I love that. Um, I've listened to them explain things like, I think that's pretty good for a general audience. They've done a pretty good job with this, right? Like it wasn't dumbed down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, like the, the episode about the trolley, the trolley episode, right? What, it was a great episode because it actually just showed how ridiculous the trolley problem is in the first place. As a, as a hypothetical problem. It doesn't make any sense. We shouldn't be, this, this shouldn't even be, this is ridiculous. And Michael recognizes its ridiculousness, right? It's, it is an absurd experiment. So why are we even thinking about this philosophically? I thought that was a great criticism of that. The whole show centers around the problem of, the desi- of desire, right? Kirk, you kind of mentioned this, right? Like with uh, Paralandra where they, they are okay and they're satisfied with the one fruit. While if we are on earth, we need to have as much of it as possible. And then we don't like it anymore because we've had too much of it, right? <laughs> it's this, 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 it is a twi- the fallen world sees a, a twisting of desire. And so we feel that 
the uh, desire is only fulfill, fulfilled through consummation. Um, or, or sorry, not consummation, from consuming. Um, but it's always misplaced desire because the what this consuming desire does is it tries to hide or mask a real desire. So at the same time, while I hated the way the show ended, I think at the same time, it, and I think for a lot of people, it felt unsatisfying. Um, and I think the reason for this is it didn't, it actually through its kind of mistaken way of ending highlighted all the more the problem of desire and our desire for God. Um, there is a desire for something more that no matter what we do, you either have two options. You either get bored and want to annihilate or you recognize there's something more that no created thing can satisfy. And I, I find that is a tension the show doesn't, and I don't even think the show recognizes that it's doing this. Um, but that's what that's one of those interesting themes of the show that I really liked. It, it's really hitting on the problem of desire and our desire for God. Right, and there's not even a, a God in the show, right? There's no. a judge, which yeah. is very different from yeah. God. Uh, yeah, Kirk, Kirk, you've, I'm sure, something super interesting. Uh, I say it totally, uh, like, not joking. Um, but I, I just want to share the biblical vision of... of um, from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Mm. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So uh, notice heaven isn't um, uh, the, what you would ask a 13-year-old to, to you know, just draw heaven. Sports cars and big houses. You know, all these, Harrison, you talk about desire, kind of fulfilling our desires, but our desire will be to commune with, with our Father, um, with God. Like, we need to exactly. be with God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think reading that passage is very important because it, it highlights, like, I think the vision of heaven itself is very flawed because it, it shows it's really not heaven. It's just the world without without people hating each other essentially not even without sin um but just with like even like cheaty and towards the end of this, the last episode essentially he's lying to eleanor because he's actually hit his state of unwe way way back you know yes. um he's actually lying to her so sin still exists it's not even a redeemed state really mm. um it which is like it's interesting like i think the show shows the need for justice and mercy in a very fascinating way that's why i love the mm. show i think it's holes which it's not even aware of actually create amazing discussion points <laughs> for the gospel. Um, and, and that's why I found it so, so fascinating. And um, yeah, it, 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 and it's just, it's smart. And it was just really, really funny. Yes. Like I still laugh whenever I rewatch it. It is just a funny show and it was just, yeah, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It does have the virtue of being one of the true actual laugh out loud yeah network television shows that exist we abuse the uh the phrase laugh out loud and lol and yeah. not actually laughing out loud and there were so many times watching that show where my wife and i would just just tears rolling down our eyes my name is Kierkegaard, and my rhyming is impeccable check out my teleological suspension of the ethical 
So good. But I love the philosophy humor. And my wife is just like, I cannot believe I'm laughing along with you at philosopher humor. Yeah. Kirk, have, Kirk, have you found yourself saying the words fork or shirt? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, yes. all right. <laughs> yes. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen, a fun discussion. Shall yeah. we uh, shall we wrap things up in prayer? Sure. Let's. Do you have Christopher? Do you have the? Do you have it up? I do. You do. All right. Would you? Uh, would you lead us? The Lord be with you. And with, with your spirit. spirit. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given to us your servants grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and in the power of your divine majesties to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship, and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy defend us from all perils of, and dangers of this night. For the love of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. 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 Harrison, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that not, none of us burned. <laughs> none of us burned. We look forward to your next appearance. And, and Kirk. Great. Yeah, this is great. Kirk, see you next week. Next week. <laughs>